Hey, if you got a Bible, you can turn it to Nehemiah. I'm gonna close out this series in the Leadership Challenge. How many of you guys have loved this series? Anybody? So been really phenomenal for such a time as this. And um, today I'm gonna be talking on the topic of anchoring change. Look at your neighbor and say anchoring change, anchoring change. You know me, I love props and I brought something to kind of help us connect with what's happening today. I went to Bass Pro Shop and found an anchor. This is awesome. I just wanted something manly up here with me that's like loud and chains. So if you've ever, because um, Nehemiah 13 is an interesting chapter. Um, we, last week, Pastor Mike talked Nehemiah 8, and then you see 19, 11, 12, and we're closing out in chapter 13. And chapter 13 is pretty unique. We talked about the burden that Nehemiah got when he was a cupbearer in the king's court. He got a burden. He fasted and prayed. He um, petitioned the king to go to give him resources. He went. He faced opposition. He overcame. He clarified the vision. He resisted temptation. He established and built the walls and the gates. Nehemiah was a phenomenal leader that was able to mobilize people with a burden that God had put on his heart. And we have been blessed to be able to read the narrative of what's happened. Where we're going to pick up today is in Nehemiah chapter 13, because at 9, 10, the people are confessing, they're repenting, they're rejoicing in the security of the walls around the city. And in chapter 13, Nehemiah is showing back up to Jerusalem after being gone for about 10 years. And this scene is pretty chaotic. You would think as a leader, and this is one of the keys of leaders, it's not enough just to actually go and mobilize people for change. The key is actually anchoring the change that it stays for decades. And that is difficult. Any guys ever been on a boat? Anybody ever been on a boat? Been on a boat? Yeah? All right, cool. So you've seen something like this. Most anchors are not the Popeye, you know, with the big like this on the, the tattoo. Um, they're like this. And what happens is, is when you move your boat, let's just say your life, your family, and you change the culture of you create a habit, you create a new culture with your family, new culture in your organization, new culture in your micro church, you have led change in some capacity. You've been fighting an injustice and there is movement. Once you move your ship, your boat, this organization to a certain place, you put down an anchor. And the anchor, what it does is, is as the current moves away from the culture you've established, a good anchor will grab something in the floor of the ocean. And as the waves and as the wind and as the current shifts, guess what happens? The culture stays intact. As leaders, we don't have to just move our lives and move our family, move our organizations to a certain place. It's our responsibility to anchor it in place, to make sure it stays that a decade later, and we're going to learn from Nehemiah in just a second, that we don't show up a decade later and things are an absolute mess and chaotic. Can, and from Nehemiah, we're about to learn right now, I'm going to leave that over there so I don't trip on it is the, the capacity and some lessons he learned about anchoring change. And if you're worried, like, man, Pastor Rob, I'm a disciple maker, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a, I've tried to lead change and the change doesn't last. I mean, when I read the story of Jesus trying to disciple 12 disciples in the chaotic mess of anchoring a kingdom culture with them, I get a little bit encouraged. I mean, uh, Peter stayed about three years with Jesus, and then the day Jesus is getting denied in the garden, what does Jesus do? And what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword. Does anybody remember this? And starts like cutting people's ears off. And Jesus is, I'm sure he's like, hey guys, I brought the boat all the way here to show you a new way to exist and live. Peter, put your sword up. <laughs> 
I mean, you look at the disciples three years with Jesus. So if you're worried, like, man, I lead change, but the change doesn't stay. I establish something in my own life or in my family, it doesn't stay. Welcome to Jesus's world of disciple making. Humans, we drift. We just drift. And this book right here in Nehemiah is the picture of our lives as a, as a spiritual roller coaster. It's almost like Jesus can radically change our lives, show up, build walls, build gates, establish a new um, economy in our lives. And then all of a sudden we're like, we're resisting every bit of it. We are, and this is like, if you're new to Christianity, you're new to like following Jesus, most of us have experienced some level of a roller coaster relationship with God where we're super passionate, we're fulfilling our calling, and then we're deeply distracted by the things of this world. Can anybody relate to that? Can anybody relate to like the passage when it says, we all like sheep go astray. Each of us has turned our own ways. Can someone say, oh, I know that verse. I experienced that verse. I leave that, I, I, I live that verse. Sometimes we get mad at people that are following us because they are not staying the course when we ourselves are horrible about staying the course. Someone say amen to that. So you pick up in Nehemiah chapter 13, and this, it is an absolute mess in the walls inside Jerusalem. And I think if any lesson we can gain from this is you can build, you can put up guardrails, guardrails and you can build walls and gates, but you, only God can change hearts. I found this out with parenting. You know, you're gonna learn some of this in these Wednesday night classes. Like you can put up guardrails and you can protect them, but only God can change a heart. And I think the world in general is really good at behavior modification. The goal is not just in the kingdom of Jesus, behavior modification, it is ultimately heart transformation. And if you want something to last, you gotta see heart transformation. So Nehemiah chapter 13, you see, Nehemiah shows back up after 10 years and Jerusalem is an absolute mess. The norms of behavior, the culture, the norms of behavior is a mess. The common persuasive ways of acting is out of line with God's kingdom. And Nehemiah does three things. It's interesting, this whole chapter is a, a narrative of him showing up and reestablishing inside the walls a kingdom culture, and I'm gonna talk about those three things. The first one is this, prioritize his house. Prioritize his house. I almost wanna be like, uh, you guys remember the Under Armour slogan? Does anybody remember that? The Under Armour, like protect this house, the original? Does anybody remember that? No? Fine. Thank you. I <laughs> see that hand. <laughs> Protect his house. And like every athlete's like, yes. Like, and it was almost like this, this intense image of um, guarding the culture of the house. And when Nehemiah is wanting to um, anchor a culture within Jerusalem, he doesn't start in the marketplace. He doesn't start in an actual home. He actually starts at the temple. He goes to the temple. And if you read verses 1 through 13, it's Nehemiah dealing with God's house that is in Jerusalem. And this is what's shocking. Does anybody remember in Nehemiah chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 who the villains were in the story? Does anybody remember? It was a guy named Sambalot. You guys remember Sambalot? You guys remember Tobiah at the beginning, some of the enemies? Chapter 13, Nehemiah shows up, and they have given one of the rooms in the, in the temple of God to Tobiah. I mean, 
think, I mean, could you imagine Nehemiah like coming? He's got all this resistance in chapters one, two, three, and four from Tobiah and Sambalot. He establishes the walls. He shows back up and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The actual enemy of us restoring Jerusalem has been given one of God's rooms in his house. And now Nehemiah, and even this chapter is called Final Reform. He's like, I mean, when you read, go read the chapter on your own. You'll see this intensity about reforming, and it starts with God's house. And if there's anything I felt like I could challenge and encourage us with, especially everyone online, everyone in this room right now, is to prioritize God's house. Culturally right now, and I'm just going to say the church at large has lost the prioritization of not a physical, the, the physical building, but gathering as the church. And that the, the church of Jesus Christ has lost courage, it's lost boldness, it's lost faith because of the lack of, lack of prioritizing gathering in his name. Verse 11, this is what Nehemiah did. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. Now, he shows up and he's like, what is happening in my house? It's a reflection of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, let us not give up or neglect meeting together as some are in the, and this is it, habit of doing. That word habit is ethos. It's a culture. It's a behavior, a habit of behavior. As some are in the culture of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. I'd say this, this is just Robbie. I've been processing this. If there's, you know, pandemic starts in March, we have to shut down church and you know, move into a place of protecting um, as many people as possible and still the pandemic is much larger. So I'm not making a commentary on I mean, even for us as leadership, it's like, you know, we haven't led through a pandemic. That was the first one, and we probably won't have another one in our lifetime, you know. So it's not like, you know, right. so reflecting on decisions we made as a leadership team, as a church, um, on how we opened or didn't open, all this stuff. I'm not making a commentary on that. What I, what coming out of this, I have had this processing thought of what really is essential in my life and the life of humanity to flourish with God and with people. What is, gen think about this, the, what is essential for life and life more abundantly? Ultimately, scripture teaches it's Jesus. How are we con get connecting people to Jesus and his body the best? And I would say it's gathering as the church. And I felt like uh, uh, watching the landscape of our community in Greenhouse and the landscape of the church at large, I feel like the faith, I think it's been a real work of the enemy to dismantle the church and people lose the essential um, value of gathering in his name. Mike did a series probably five, seven years ago called Revolution. You remember the series? It's called Revolution. And he had a catchphrase I haven't lost in my heart. He said, every time the church gathers, there's potential for sudden, sweeping, marking change. Every time the people of God get together. And I gotta be honest with you. That series marked me my whole life. When I gather, when I come on Sunday mornings, I really am like, what's gonna happen? And I'm not worried about the band missing a chord. I'm not worried about the announcement video not playing. I'm not worried about the air conditioner not working. I'm showing up like, there's a revolution! And when God's people get together, oh! <laughs> 
Like I, that's what we're alive for. If you want safe, predictable, organized, like dig, 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 go watch a TED talk. <laughs> I came for a revolution. I came for sudden sweeping, marking change. <laughs> so when I show up, I really am. I gotta be honest with you guys, uh, church, and this is why. My experience is church is, is essential. Prophetic words, clarity of vision, my best friends, deep encouragement, life and life more abundantly with Jesus and other people has all been tied to, anchored to church. Church, not institutional religion. I mean, some of my deepest pains are tied to church, but some of my, my greatest moments and my greatest friends are tied to church. If you're gathering online right now, and it's been 16 months, and you're all, listen, and you're not living in Gainesville, thank you for joining right now. You need to find church, though. <laughs> Listen, the goal of church online is not you're isolating, you get a nice TED talk once a week. The goal is you are gathering with the body of Christ, your gifts are activating, you are serving others. That is church. Someone's like, man, I go, to, I go to Starbucks and I have church with my friend at Starbucks and we talk about our lives. That is not church. Church is when you are worshiping Jesus in community and on mission. And when you find all three of those, which we call living in the green, you will find church. And when you find church, you find power, you find deliverance, you find hope, you get encouraged. Man, there's nothing like church. <laughs> there is nothing like church. And when I see people suffering in their faith, it's because they've neglected church. I'm not even trying to be a company man. I'm like, can you boost attendance on Sunday morning? That is the last of my goals right now. My goals is life and life more abundantly for you. And people that are alive in Jesus and alive in life and stay encouraged are people that go and participate and don't just consume. They participate, participate and produce church. They worship Jesus. They're in community and their own mission. It is the recipe for transformed lives. Nehemiah shows up and the city's in a mess. The first thing he goes is like, why y'all not going to church? Why y'all not taking care of God's house? I feel the resistance personally. My son's a, um, playing in a travel basketball team right now. First time we've ever done it. I said, this sounds awesome. Trained in basketball, get exposure, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all the travel ball parents know, right? Maybe you're watching this a little bit later as a travel parent. There is a resistance to church culturally. <laughs> it is hard. And I'm reassessing how valuable is church to me, my wife, my son, and my daughter. And I gotta, it's, it's valuable. It's more valuable than his athletic development. <laughs> Come on, man. It is more valuable than his athletic development. Church matters. And I get pain. I get church people are messy. I get some of the hardest conversations and hardest moments in life are sharp and they're hard. But listen, church Church. So what don't you do with that point? Prioritize his house. Listen, this is, again, I, I hope you know my heart in this. My heart is to see you full of life and his kingdom come. I was reflecting with the Greenhouse School of Ministry students Friday night. We had this conversation. We talked about church. And I talked about the moments of interaction with God that changed my life. It changed my relationships. It changed every part. It changed my career. It changed everything I'm doing because I was with God's people. The marking moments is as we gathered in his name. Don't neglect church. Number two, this is what Nehemiah did. And Pastor Mike touched on this last week. Practice God's rhythms. Practice God's rhythms. Verses 15 through 22. So, Nehemiah goes all in with, with the, the people within the walls about 
the temple. Then he goes all in about Sabbath. It is wild what he does in this moment about the people not honoring the Sabbath. He goes all in, and I mean all in. Look at this, verse 17. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing desecrating the Sabbath day? For one, they were working. Then they were allowing people into the gates that he had built to protect the culture of God's culture. And they were allowing them coming through the gates where they would camp at walls at night and rush in. Then in verse 21, he says this, but I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. <laughs> Shoo! From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. He, I mean, someone's like, well, does he mean he was going to pray for them? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty clear what laying on of hands meant, right? Culturally, we thought that was kind of like, let's throw hands. I don't mean, know. Nehemiah was saying, I'm going to throw hands a couple, like centuries ago. I'm going to lay hands on you. There are rhythms that God has established for your well-being, the health of you, your relationships, your family. There are rhythms in place that God has given you as a grace to you. They are not laws. They are graces to live a full, whole, healthy life with God and other people. And God is like pretty passionate about the ways he's put in for his people to follow them. And ultimately, it's for your benefit. Nehemiah went in. He said, why are you guys not honoring the Sabbath? I have given you this gift, this day of rest. And I would say this. The other piece he talks about is tithing and Sabbath. And I've been processing this because I, uh, <laughs> Pastor Matt and I have lots of conversations about Sabbath. And I'm probably the most resistant to this principle in general. I love to work. I love to go. I love to, you know, I'm like, what are we going to? Do to, that's my question. What am I doing today? What am I going to accomplish today? Can anybody relate? It's like, and I don't feel like I've accomplished or did anything or make a dent in someone's life or here at Greenhouse or uh, I feel like, am I, why am I even alive, right? <laughs> what was my reason for existence? I am tied to my work in somewhat of a healthy way. There is nothing that expresses faith in God more, in my opinion, than tithing your first fruits and Sabbathing a day a week. And this is why, I've been processing this, Sabbath is not just a command that blesses you, it is a step of faith to say, I trust God to get stuff done and not me. It's faith. Well, God, what if I don't study for my exam coming up? Do you trust me to bring to mind everything that you need? God, what if I don't work on my business? Or what if I don't get in front of this other employee? This other employee is responding to emails and doing all this stuff. What if, what if, what if, what if? And we are tied to our lack of trust in God. Sabbath is tied to a lack of faith in God to do the work that we are not doing. Secondly, it's the same thing as tithe. Think about it. the two things on management we would say that we have control that we manage is our time and our money. And we read books and we listen to podcasts on time management and money management. We say, how can we best budget our money? And how can we best budget our time? A lot of us, I do this thing called Eisenhower Box. So I'm like urgent, important, like not urgent, not important. And I prioritize my life. A big ch I, I do the whole Franklin Stephen Covey, like big rocks. I do all that every single week. And I'm militant about my time and I'm militant about my budget with my money. And God says, who do you trust the most? Give them the first fruits of both. And 
Tithing ultimately is a step of faith. It's not even like someone's like, oh, it's a law. You're giving me a command. No, 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 listen. It's the moment where God gives you increase. You give the first back to him and say like, listen, this is yours. You got this. You will multiply it. You will make it work. Nehemiah shows up and he gets passionate about the temple. And then he goes all in and anchors the Sabbath and tithing. Super interesting. And again, You're like, well, there you go, Pastor Robbie, Executive Pastor Robbie telling us to come to church and give our money, right? (laughs) I I hope you hear the heart behind what I'm saying and what Nehemiah is saying. When I have seen people practice Sabbath and practice tithing as a measure of faith and trust in God, I see blessings overflow in their life, 100%. So it's like, what is 10? Listen, it's the first 10. It's not even like the back 10. It's not even like, well, I paid all these stuff. It really is that moment where you say, God, you're going to take this 90 and meet all my needs according to your riches and glory. But this first 10, here we go. That's take it. It's yours. Sabbath is that day a week where you say, God, it's yours. And I would say church is a part of your Sabbath. Just so you know, you're coming, worshiping, on mission, resting with God's people. This is a part of Sabbath culturally in that. And when I talk to... um, Friends, like I was talking to a business owner in this, in this church a couple weeks ago, and uh, I said, hey, how's your business, small business owner? And he's like, yeah, I'm grinding, 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 start to a startup, and a lot of you guys know the startup grind of um, a new business or an adventure or whatever, and he's like, finally, I just said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to model to my team and to me, I'm going to rest at least a day a week, and, uh, and he goes, and the month of February was going to be our worst month. I mean, it was going to be bad. And with a week left in the month, someone randomly did a YouTube about our business in another country in Europe. And he has lots of followers. I don't even know who it was. I don't even know how he heard about our business. And because he did a random YouTube, like our business blew up at the end of the month. And we made more in that month than we had in a bunch of other previous months. (laughs) I said, you tithe, don't you? (laughs) And jokingly, I know he does. I know the guy. He's a disciple. He loves Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah. I said, God, God can make up in a week what you can't do in three weeks previous, just like that. And I said, and it just made him worship. When God does it, it makes you worship. And I talked to I remember the girl that led me to Jesus. I remember um, having conversations with her about Jesus right after we were like, um, right after I started following, she had w- shared the gospel with me in this library. Um, and then the following week, she's like, I said, hey, uh, are you, st- you have exam on Monday. Are you studying all day on Sunday? She said, no, I don't study on Sundays. I said, what? And I was like, what are you talking about? I said, you got exam. She goes, no, I study Friday. I study Saturday. I'll study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But Sunday is set apart to the Lord. And the Lord will help me get an A. And if I don't get an A, the Lord knows. He'll provide me to be able to get into the programs I need and the jobs I need. But I trust the Lord with my education. I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) early on, I experienced someone who was honoring. And listen, not having a day of Sabbath, just so you know, or giving the first fruits, Nehemiah knew, it's a testament to who you trust. Do you love manna or do you trust God? Do you trust manna or do you trust, do you trust your work or do you trust God's work in the backside? And they're both steps of faith. Last is this, all right. Three things. This is what Nehemiah did. Read the book. Read chapter 13. If he was going to anchor culture, he said, we're going to prioritize his house. We're going to practice his rhythms. And then we're going to protect our relationships. We're going to protect our relationships. Nehemiah goes all in about you and I relationships and the impact they have. 
Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 25 and 27. Now listen, he shows up and they've been, they've been marrying and giving their daughters and sons in marriage to um, people of other um, religions. And Nehemiah's like, what are y'all doing? Like, you, gotta, you know this is a theocracy. You know we are people set apart. Why are you diluted? And he uses a reference to our boy Solomon from back in the day. You guys remember Solomon, full of wisdom and knowledge, amazing. And then he starts connecting himself to people of other religions. And all of a sudden, um, now listen, if you're from another religion, another faith, you're so thankful you're here, by the way. I'm not like crushing you or any of that stuff. I'm connecting and I'm going to go somewhere without the importance and the value of our relationships and where our heart and our life end up going, especially that core. So in chapter 13, verses 25 through 27, says, I rebuked them and called down curses on them. <laughs> Nehemiah doesn't play. Nehemiah haven't connected this. I'm going to pull out their hair. I'm going to beat them. I'm going to lay hands on them. I rebuked them and called curses on them. He said, I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. <laughs> Someone's like, you're so mean. He's like, shut up. I'm just following Nehemiah. And uh, I made them take a oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you, are too, you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? The principle that I feel like, and I'm not going to get into all the dynamics of marriage in this context. I feel like the principle in praying through this to extract to you and I is I want to encourage you to have a constant analysis of the most influential voices into your life because it matters. It mattered to Nehemiah because it mattered to God. And Nehemiah come up with a few final reforms. That's what chapter 13 is. And he went all in with the temple, prioritizing the house. He went all in with the rhythms of Sabbath and tithing. And then he went all in about their relationships. As a youth pastor, I used to say this, and I'm sure Pastor Brooks says stuff like this too, where it's like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I was like, man, it matters who teenagers are friends with. And I'd say, friends are like buttons on an elevator. They either take you up or they take you down. I was like, man, we got to help our teens have good relationships. We'd say Proverbs chapter 13, verses 20. Who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. You need to walk with the wise. I would say this is a principle that we should not outgrow. And the very discipleship that we feel led to give younger disciples in the faith is the very principle that we need to apply to ourselves. Nehemiah knew these were, these were not teenagers within the walls of Jerusalem that had strayed. These were grown adults, and they were deeply impacted by the, the, the close relationships we have. Now listen, we've got, you've got groups of two or three, you've got six, you've got 12, you've got 72. You were kind of built in a way Jesus modeled the spheres of relationships. He had three, he had 12, he had the 72, he had the multitudes. A lot of us have those fears of influence. I, would, I want to challenge you 
to have a, a sphere, a small sphere around you that is deeply moving you toward the, the purposes of God in your life and to help you achieve those purposes in other people, to help you be a disciple and make disciples. I would, I would say out of this passage, the final reforms, one of them is for us to take an inventory of our relationships that are near to us and what they are saying to us. I found myself listening to, at one point, listening to a certain po- person on podcasts like multiple times a week because I just thought it was entertaining, it was good, da, da, da. The next thing you know, I'm watching that come out in my vernacular and the way I treat people. Who you listen to, who you engage with has an impact. It's the law of exposure, who you're exposing to. That circle of people. I was talking to Andrew, our missions director, about um, churches and organizations that send missionaries. We've got a brother, we'll be, you know, in a couple months, he'll be, we'll be asking him to, you know, he'll be coming up here and he's going to be going um, to the Middle East. And um, we're sending people from our church, right? But it's very interesting because... College ministries and churches that prioritize the unreached people groups and sending missions, they send. But you look at organizations and churches that do not prioritize that, they never send. They never send anyone. Now, I'm like, are all the people that are in these organizations, are none of them actually called to go? Or has bad leadership made them stay and not consider it? And I would say... It is important the exposure you bring to your life, especially those of the inner, the inner circle that's around you. And the business world, um, you guys are choosing people that you're going to gravitate toward, books you're going to read, people you're going to discuss stuff with. And once you attach yourself to two or three business people that you're going to model afterwards, you'll find yourself making decisions that may not be the godliest decisions, but it's the decisions you've seen other successful people that you're yoking yourself to do and become successful. I want to... I, th- I think on a kingdom level, have a few close friends that deeply challenge you in your faith, that stir your passion for Jesus, that challenge your heart for justice and the poor. Have some people in your life that are asking you those good, hard questions. And if that circle is not there right now, go find them. I'd say even for men that are watching online right now, men in the room right now, we're the worst at this, right? <laughs> Like women will find microchurches, they'll gather and pray. One of the ladies in our church is like came to me Wednesday night at the prayer meeting. She's like, she's like, I pray with five women every every morning at 5 a.m. for church and revival in our city. And I was like, wow. Now I would say this: I historically have um, over the decades of two decades of following Jesus, I've connected the dots of women will find each other and sharpen each other. Men tend to isolate themselves and not find each other and sharpen one another. I'm just saying that's a broad stroke generalization. So when Pastor Mike and Byron are putting together this amazing like Father's Day event, it's like, what are you, dads, what are you gonna do? Like, don't, I mean, some of us, we gravitate and isolate ourselves, especially because we're weak and we don't want, there's like this macho, we don't want people to see that we're struggling. I, I wanna challenge the men in our church to find a few people around you that can be Davids and Jonathans. They're gonna challenge you, they're gonna encourage you, they're gonna spark you toward love and grace and wholeness, to be sacrificially loving your spouse, to be sacrificially loving your family, your kids, your coworkers, and lead our, this culture, our city, in a way that's unique, that is unprecedented, that you've never seen, this world has never seen before. Prioritize his house, practice his rhythms, Protect your relationships.
That's the application. So I was like, what do you want me to do with this, Robbie? <laughs> Come to church. <laughs> okay, you're here. Good. Online. Seriously, we love you. We're so for you. And we're so glad for an online resource that can sharpen and challenge you. Our goal is if you're in the city right now, come and gather with us and worship with us. Every time we get together, potential for sudden sweeping marking change. If you're not in Gainesville, we'll help you find a local assembly to be a part of together in his name. Seriously, we'll help you with that. Or Planet Greenhouse Church. Come on. Prioritize his house. Practice his rhythms. And protect your relationships. Ultimately, the story lands on this. You can put up walls and you can anchor principles that are important. But walls and principles don't change behavior ultimately. Ten years go by, people are still doing their thing. The real message of Nehemiah, walls, great leadership, great principles, ultimately there has to be a heart change. And you can do the things I'm saying for a period of time, and you can modify your behavior, but without a heart transformation and it doesn't become your desires, it will only be a temporary change. If you're doing it because of shame or guilt or fear of man, you will do it for a season. But when there is true heart change, you'll do it for a lifetime. So how do I wanna close this? I'm, I told you a bunch of stuff to do, but what's more important is what you believe. Believing in Jesus, trusting Jesus. If you're online right now, you're in this room right now, the most important relationship to start with is your genuine worship to Jesus. It's saying, God, you have everything. You will help me build a culture as a leader. You'd help me anchor a culture. You'll help me establish a culture. And it starts with putting him first. If you've never followed Jesus or you've strayed like a lot of the community had done in, the, in those walls right now, this is a chance for you to come home and just say, Jesus, you are Lord. I just, repent of, I just repent of doing things my own way and being the Lord of my life. And even right now, I say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Like Pastor Mike said earlier, there's power in your profession, your confession. So even right now, just if you would, bow your heads, pray with me for just a little bit before we go. If you're online, stay with us for just a minute. Jesus, thank you for doing more than just giving us principles, doing us more than just giving us guardrails. Thank you that you offer us a change of heart. And I pray across this room, everyone online right now, Lord, that if someone doesn't know you and hasn't been born from above, born again is the promise, a new life, new creation, that even right now they give their lives to you. And if you're in that boat right now, you're in this room, maybe you wanna pray a prayer just like this. Say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I am, I, God, I repent for being the Lord of my life. And I surrender lordship over to you. I'll follow your ways. Maybe you strayed and you wanna say, God, I'm, I'm home. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'll follow you. If you're online right now, you're in this room right now, and that's your heart, that's your passion, just, just seal that right now with God. That's your prayer.
Maybe you want to take the next step and just go all in and get baptized today. Well, in just a few moments, we've got some clothes for you. Well, maybe you're online, you want to drive here and you want to get baptized today and go all in.